0: We offer as a courtesy the scriptures, the, the the passage we're going to read. We we offer it on the screen, just because that's the that's the age we live in, and, and so we do that. But brothers and sisters, there is no real substitute for a for a tangible Bible. Uh, you need it to to make notes to yourselves, to to to, to capture those highlights that of insight that the Lord gives you as you read, um, you you really need a Bible. And so I know most of you have a Bible and that's great, but brothers and sisters, this church is committed to the Bible and to making sure that anybody who needs a Bible can have a Bible. All right. So if you don't have your own copy of the written word or if there's someone in your life whom you know, if I were to give them a copy of the Bible, they would use it for something other than a door jam or something. Don't leave here without a Bible. Look at the back of the pew in front of you. There's a Bible there. Consider it yours, a gift. From Spring Cypress Presbyterian Church, freely we were given and so freely we give, right? The word of God needs to be dispersed and disseminated. So take it if if you know someone or if you need it yourself, all right? Okay, so I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's word, or I suppose just look at the screen. And we'll be reading from Galatians 4, 4 to 7. Last time we we began by looking at the first clause. But this passage is so ripe with Christmassy goodness that it deserves another look. Okay? So Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes... But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the living God endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this passage And even more than for this passage as words on a page, we praise your name that they reflect what you have done. Thank you for sending your son, for redeeming us, for adopting us, for sending your spirit into our hearts. That's awesome. Lord, I pray that as we reflect upon this passage and unpack it a bit, that by your spirit we would hear the voice of the shepherd and come unto him. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as, as we alluded uh, just a few moments ago, when we commenced our look at this passage a couple weeks ago, we looked primarily at the first clause of verse 4. And... The reason for this passage and the reason for that look is we want to better come to terms with why is it that we can say Christmas is, is a joyous time? Why Why do we have merriment in at Christmas time? Why? Is it just a cultural thing? Are we just conjuring up something just to to break the routine of the mundane. What is it? And my contention, and I believe the contention of the New Testament, is that the contemplation of the coming of Christ really does bring us tidings of comfort and joy that should undergird and fuel our everyday experience. And so the Christmas season provides an opportune moment to look back and to reckon and consider those things. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? But the coming of Jesus is really, really, really good news. And he is our ascended Lord. And in every country that's ever been, you celebrate your king. We celebrate, at least we used to, our first president. Who was our first president? Who, who was he? Okay, S- some of you know who that was. <laughs> we have a king who's so much greater than Washington. If, if Washington got a day, how, how much more should we give to Jesus? Our every day. So the coming of Christ is awesome. And I want you to have comfort in your heart and joy in your spirit. And it's desperately needed. Man, I don't know what it is. You know, I, I keep reading um, just these depressing quite frankly, depressing headlines and articles about how depression rates are just through the roof and, and prescriptions for anti-anxiety medicines are just, it's just astronomical. When I read of the, the number of pastors and even churches that have closed since, since COVID, it, it's shocking Just, I think, two days ago, I read the, the PCA uh, ha, had, now, a, a counseling program where people who were on staff at churches could, could get counseling, mental health care, and it was, the response was so, so great that it absolutely swamped and destroyed the system. And I, I look around and I talk to my friends and, 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 and their churches are struggling to meet budget and, and their people are, are struggling if they're not employed to find employment, even though we're told that it should be easy to find a job, but yet everyone seems to have a problem finding a job. And, and so families are stressed, just, it's, it's like there's this dark spirit it's like that. It's like there's this oppression. And of course, we have the, 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 the craziness of the wars in various places, and you know the reports that we're sending yet more naval assets to the to the Middle East. And we need comfort and joy. Is it to be found, though? And I say yes. And I think the God that is says yes. And so last time we looked at at the first clause and how in the fullness of time and what that meant and what that implied. The fullness of time God took action. And so what we learned from the fullness of time we learned last sermon on this was that God is in absolute control of history of not just his story, not just of the grand meta-narratives of societies and, and peoples. He's in charge of your story. He's directing your steps. And because he's directing your steps and he has revealed a great and grand purpose for you, you can have confidence that even when you get a pink slip, even when you get a bad diagnosis. You are not out of God's control and God is working something for you. But Christmas isn't just about how God is in control of history and he brings things to pass in their appointed time. Though Christmas happened at the appointed time. Christ came at just the right moment. But principally, Christmas is about our king, and our king is Jesus. And so I want us to look at the, the next few clauses, I guess, through, through the end of verse 5, really, uh, because we learn something about Jesus here. We learn something about ourselves in the process. But that's how it is. We, we learn about ourselves in the afterglow or in the light of what we learn about God. So start with your study of God and of his Christ. And in that light, in that illumination, you will learn more about yourself, okay? Don't don't start the other way around. Start with God. So God sent forth his son in the ark it says that Moses at first he he opened the door he wants to know if how how, how dry the surface of the earth has been so he opens the door and, 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 and what what does he send out Okay I know we're Presbyterian but you you can he sends out a bird specifically what kind of bird I th- I thought at first it was a raven Okay all right in January, I'm going to be repeating my Bible trivia contest against the youth, so So anyway, he sends out a bird. Now he sends out a bird, a raven, and then it comes back, and then he sends out a dove, and, OK, well, he sends out, in the sense that he opens the window and he says, "Fly, bird, fly." And the bird's going to go wherever and do whatever. And then maybe it'll come back. And if it doesn't come back, that's really good news because it means it found a place to land. Okay. That is not what God did here in regards to his son. God sent forth his son. That, that's the word that a master would apply to a servant when he's given him a task to complete. And so he has to go get it done. It's the word that a general would give to a soldier when there's a mission to accomplish, to go. So, in the fullness of time, at just the right strategic and tactical moment, God sent forth his son. So, what this means is a couple things right off the bat. First, it lets us know about the pre-existence of the sun. He was there all along. He didn't make the sun. He didn't create the sun at just the right moment. No, at just the right moment, he sent the sun forth. He sent the sun on his, on his mission. But not only does it affirm the pre-existence of the sun, it lets us know that this was all part of a plan that had been pre determined. In our tradition, we like that word predestined. That's exactly what it was. So what we see here is the affirmation that from from eternity, there was this plan that was devised, a plan that was orchestrated. And we call that in our tradition, the covenant of redemption between the persons of the Trinity. God willing to save, the Son agreeing to save, and the Spirit agreeing to apply. So what we see is this intra-Trinitarian plan being referred to right here. And the Son, at just the right moment, the trigger is pulled, and the sun goes forth. Oh, on a mission. And Jesus alludes to this mission throughout his ministry many times, does he not? I mean, how many times does Jesus say something to the effect of what he says in Luke four forty three? 43? He, he says this kind of thing all over the place. But, but just for example, for the sake of time, here's, here's one thing. They, they want him to stay in the village where he's at. And he says, no, I must preach the gospel of the kingdom in the other towns and villages. For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was not just here walking around wherever the wind may blow. He was a man on a mission. And what was that mission? What was it? Well, what we have here in Galatians 4 and 5, you have an Antecedent qualifier, when the fullness of time had come. You have the action statement, God sent forth his son. You have two conditional clauses, two qualifying clauses. In in, in what manner or in what way, under what circumstances did he come forth? Born of woman, born under the law, and and we're going to talk about both of those. But then you have the purpose clause. So he sent forth his son to accomplish what? To redeem those who were under the law. And there's an even grander vision still, but stop right there. The great... The great obstacle that we experienced that that lies before each of us is the fact that as Paul has been alluding to since Galatians chapter 3, there's the curse of the law that abides on all of us. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are hopeless. We are helpless on our own. We are doomed. And when that day of inevitability comes for every one of us it comes you will die for it has been appointed unto man once to die you will be judged and if you go to god on your own you don't really go on your own you go you go in line with our first father adam and so the standard that god has for you is have you kept my law perfectly, in every thought, word, and deed. Have you done everything I've said to do? And have you not done everything I've said not to do? And we're all of us doomed. And because of that, we've been, we've been sold into the hands of the torturer, so to speak. And we're under the dominion of the devil in this life. The prince of the power of the air. And Jesus came, we are told here, to redeem those. That's awesome. But it wasn't simply to redeem, as as awesome as that is, as liberating as it is to know that Jesus came to redeem and to set free. That's not the whole picture. Because after this immediate purpose, you you see the grand vision. And what does it say in the second part of verse 5? So that we might receive adoption as sons. So we see that our sin problem was the barrier in the road from the the adoption that God wanted for us. And this is where we get to look back and see that God's grand mission has been to restore the paradise that was lost. In Genesis 1 and 2, God makes man, male and female, he creates them. And God has unbroken interpersonal relationship with them. They hear the sound of him walking in the garden. And they hide after they've eaten. He he was in the habit of meeting visibly, audibly with his creation. And in the fall, that was broken. And what we see throughout The rest of scripture then is this orientation, this movement that God isn't just looking for a people. He's not just looking for for worshipers in the mere servant sense. He's wanting to meet with, dwell with, and have fellowship with his. And so we see this very explicitly uh, in the book of Exodus which I hope Lord willing to eventually take walk with through with you because it is my favorite book of the Old Testament. And most of us are familiar with the action in the first half of the book, right? But the second half of the book gets a little heavy because it's all these and details and instructions about building this thing called the, the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And it, it's important to understand what the point of the tabernacle was. And, and we get a little glimpse of this in Exodus 25, when verse 8, when God is preparing to go into the details about it. And he says this, let them make me a sanctuary that they might come before me and kneel. That they might render unto me the sacrifices I require. No, no, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And then at the end, fast forward a few chapters, and he's given all the details, and now he's going to talk brass tacks about sanctifying and consecrating this whole thing that he's said. And here's what he says in Exodus 29. There, in this tent that I've just described and and given you all the details, there I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate and serve as my priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And what do we hear then? Fast forward. John 1, 14. That beautiful, beautiful verse. You guys know it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Okay. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And of course that dwelt among is is the same word for the tent of meeting. It's tabernacled. He tabernacled amongst us. And and, and that's not just there. But we are told specifically that uh, in... Third John, that we will see him as he is. And then in Revelation chapter 22, we're told that in the final, after everything is said and done, his servants, that is those who are saved, will see him face to face. Fellowship. Delighting in the presence this is what God wants. Now, here's the astonishing thing. God doesn't need us at all. Brother Danny just prayed a, a beautiful prayer of truth. Like God doesn't derive any glory from us. We don't satisfy any of his needs. We, we don't fill up some lack. In God, he, he alone is the source of all life and being. So it's not like God made somebody to meet his needs. God wants us. He, he wants to fellowship with you. And he wants that so dearly. That at just the right moment, he sent forth his son to redeem you. And to redeem you, there were two conditional circumstantial clauses surrounding his coming. Born of woman. That's a reference to his full and true humanity. He knows what it's like to be in this world as an embodied creature like us because he became one of us. You experience growing pains, teens, kids. You start growing and it just kind of aches. He experienced that. You swing, you lift something too heavy and the next day you feel it. He knows what that's about. You have a crick in your back because you slept wrong? He slept on the ground. I bet he had a stiff back half the time. Know what it's like to deal with frustrating people? Jesus, We've talked, shown in the Gospels, Jesus expresses frustration regularly. And then born under the law, to redeem those under the law. The law is used in a great many ways in Scripture, and the error you can make is to think that every time Paul says the word law, he means the same thing. Sometimes he's referring to the Decalogue. Sometimes he's referring to the law of Moses. Sometimes he's referring to, I don't know, kind of a principle like, like the law of gravity where it's, it's some established principle that just is. Other times, it's this reference to this recurrent covenant of works. There's this principle of obedience required and failure to obey results in curse. And that's what he seems to be. Jesus was born under the obligation to be Perfect. And he was for you and for me. And he suffered the curse of the law for you and for me. So in everything then, Jesus was born and subjected to the same requirements, the same limitations, the same hurdles, and he overcame. So what that means is, in Hebrews, when it refers to Jesus as a sympathetic high priest... There you go. He's walked a mile in your shoes. And so you can turn to him. But brothers and sisters, comfort and joy. From eternity past, the Trinity devised a plan. And at just the right moment, the sun came forth. Now, this showcases the Father's goodwill and love for you. This world, I mean, we're all used to our employers treating us like commodities. Uh, relationships are, are terrifyingly cheap nowadays. And the, this, this current age, I mean, people... Are, are, are forsaking family members over the incorrect political position. And, 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 it's, and some of you wondered, am I safe? Am I about to be abandoned? Or do I really matter? Or is my worth solely determined by what I'm producing? And the answer is, God who doesn't need you for anything, not a thing, nonetheless delights in you. And he sent forth his son to redeem you, that you might be adopted as his beloved child and And the Greek says, sons, that that's letting us know what's what's going to come in verse seven because Sons get an inheritance and and you get an inheritance and that's what we're gonna talk about next week. But understand this, you can have comfort and joy in this topsy-turvy world because in God's eyes, you matter, not just absolutely, you matter personally to him. And he sent his son to make sure you were brought back into the family. And he's gonna keep you safe until the day of his return. And then you're going to get everything that God has promised to you. So you can rejoice this Christmas because the coming of the son of God is the herald of God's love for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. We don't deserve it. We don't better your existence by our presence but we praise your name that you delight in us and that you seek us out and that from eternity past you devised a plan to save us, to adopt us, to make us your children. Jesus, we praise your name that at just the right moment you came forth and you fulfilled the mission that your Father gave to you so that you could say on the cross, it is finished. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray, O Lord. Amen.